some serious gourmet shit. Hey, we're recording the podcast. Shut up. Good morning to you, wherever you are, because it is a morning somewhere for February 28th, 2024. My name is Bernie Burns. With me, sitting right over there, she's getting ready to get dressed because it's Tuesday. <laughs> Say hi to Ashley. <laughs> Good morning. It's going to confuse a lot of people. That was one of my lamer intros. That's going to be that's confuse a lot of people since it's Wednesday. I know, right? That was that was one of my lamer ones. But guess what? I'm fucking keeping it. I don't care. So sometimes you get tape lag. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard me say that before, Ash? Sometimes no, you I, get tape lag. I don't. What is that? It's there's no way that you would know what that means. Hold on a second. I've got a I've got a hum in the background. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna make a little change here, and I'm gonna get rid of a hum. I'll be right back. Don't change anything. I'll be right back. Okay. The hum is gone. You feel better without the hum? I do feel better without the hum. Okay. So there's no way in the world that you would know what sometimes you get tape leg means. What is this? Because I think I might be, I might have a unique experience in the world. It is tied to somebody else, but it in these like mass plethora of content on the internet and comments and everything there is one comment that really stood out to me from a FARC thread in probably 2002 or 2001. Wow. Where, all right. We're digging deep yeah, here. It was a strong, bad email that came out called tape leg. And it's about a minute, 10 minute 30. And it felt like not a great, strong, bad email. And, and FARC.com back in the day, everyone would wait for the latest strong, bad email to come out. And this one came out or something came out and they didn't like it. And uh, a guy wrote in the comments, he goes, you know, sometimes you get Trogdor, sometimes you get tape leg. And I went back and watched <laughs> tape leg, which was the episode. And I was like, yeah, you know, you make a lot of content for the Internet. Sometimes you make a tape leg. Well, look, but, look, uh, not yeah. not every swings a hit. Sometimes uh, with the, the pattern of comedy, it's what things are funny once, then they're funny the third time. And then maybe they're funny the seventh time. Maybe they were just really trying extra, extra hard to just get it through repetition that now it's funny. Yeah. It's funny that we're talking about comedy theory today. When today's show, we have decided, and this is a warning to everyone out there, there this is going to be a morbid show because there's a, a news story that's taking place right now that I want to talk about. And there's been a few, it's pretty morbid, and there's been some morbid things in the news that we have not talked about because they thought they were too much of a downer. And it's really weird to talk about, you know, executions via nitrogen is one of the stories, for example, just to talk about that randomly in the middle of a day. It's like, and have a great morning, everybody. So this is your morning. We're going to talk about all those stories today because I think they're relevant and interesting, but they're pretty goddamn morbid. And so this, I guess we're just in that kind of mood this morning. <laughs> I just want to warn people, Buckle like, up. you know. Sometimes you get tape leg, Ashley. Sometimes that's the way it works out. First right. up, though, as a little bit as to lead us into this, though, I do want to talk about one thing that's a little bit of a follow up from what we've talked about before, which is Korea or South Korea continues to set records for low fertility rate. Like everyone is amazed by the country's low fertility rate. And then they come out with new numbers and they're like, oh, no, we're even worse than you thought we were. 
And now the new fertility rate that's been listed for South Korea is they are now down to 0.72 babies per woman. And, and specifically, that is a, uh, that's an that's an 8% drop from the previous year. So this is it is yeah. falling very hard and very very fast. Yeah, so they they slid down to 230,000 births uh in the last year. And we're already starting to see as a result of this almost like a canary in the mine shaft. We're starting to see some of the socioeconomic impacts on the country that everyone else can now expect to see in future generations as all of our populations start to decline. Uh, the big one that they covered in this news article that we've been reading on Bloomberg um, is about the medical profession because what's happening as a result of this is the country is rapidly skewing much, much older demographically, which means, of course, there's a higher demand on healthcare, but then there's far less young people to fill any jobs, which also includes the healthcare industry. Yeah. And also, this is uh, happening at a very interesting time when a lot of people are worried about losing jobs to things like AI is we could end up at the point where they have to be because there aren't people for those jobs. Obviously, that's not the case for everywhere in the world. Just at the moment, we're looking at specifically South Korea, but they may have to push further into an area that the rest of the world is worried about just in order to support the population of the country. Which makes me wonder, too, what are we going to start to see change in terms of laws that have pretty much been sacred up until this point? Like, are we going to start to see more laws and more legalization around euthanasia or voluntary suicide and things like that? I'm not even talking for people who need help dying when they're already dying, but people who just want to check out at this point. Uh, because they're older, they don't have kids, and there's no support services for them at all. Right, and they they don't want to grow old alone and forgotten, and so they're just like, I'm done. Hey, it's 10 past the hour, everybody, on Wednesday. <laughs> Here's Bill with the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, moving on from that, that was supposed to be the light one, actually. <laughs> so. Sorry, but everything everything else that's coming isn't any lighter, so... Be warned. No, it's not. We're, we are leaning in hard on the morbidity today. All right. So a really brief thing. One one that I wanted to talk about before uh, was because we'd been talking about the novel uh, by Andy Weir, Project Hail Mary. Uh, and without spoiling anything too much in that, there is an astronaut who has to go on a suicide mission in that. And they ask, uh, they ask him, how does he want to die? And he says he wants to die. Uh, instead of being trapped in space and starving, he wants to die via nitrogen poisoning, which is basically they give him a tank of nitrogen and a mask and he can breathe nitrogen. And the theory behind this, and I learned this reading Project Hail Mary, is that you don't have the suffocation response from lack of oxygen. You have it from a buildup of carbon dioxide in your body, which is what happens typically when you run out of oxygen in a normal atmosphere on Earth. If you cut off oxygen, your body builds up carbon dioxide and you panic and suffocate and it's horrible. Whereas if you just replace the oxygen with inert nitrogen, then you just basically run out of oxygen. You don't have that buildup of CO2. You fall asleep and you pass away very peacefully. The state of Alabama put that to the test recently by forcing a prisoner to be executed via nitrogen, even though he had many appeals where he tried to fight this. 
That being said, those appeals can sometimes be motivated by someone who just wants to stay alive and they will fight on any grounds that they have to you know delay the execution. Anyway, they put him to death via nitrogen. And as many critics predicted, it did not go according to plan. And we can post a link to the article of like the, the, the account of the execution uh, that's on AP News. But essentially, there was a lot of thrashing. And the idea was that it's one thing if you're poisoned by nitrogen without knowing it. It's entirely different when you know what's happening to you and you try to fight it. Right. So it, we don't know at this point. It's not like there were a, you know, a bunch of like n- nodes hooked up to monitor um, exactly what he was going through. But so we don't know if it was the fear of this imminent death that's finally come for you that that was causing the reactions or if it was actually physical pain. I mean, it's the one thing if you know, if you're just getting sleepy and you don't know why, there's a there's a thing that happens with people when they go into enclosed spaces. Uh, it happens a lot on ships sometimes where some people can go into a deep part of the hull on a massive ship and if there's been a lot of rust in there, that's oxidation that's, that leaches oxygen from the atmosphere. And so what happens is they don't know that they're in an oxygen-deprived environment, and then they fall asleep, and they pass out, and then they die, and then someone sees them laying there and says, I'm going to help that person. They walk in to get them, they fall asleep, and they die. And that just keeps happening again and again until someone has the smarts to go, I'm not going into whatever's going on in that room because it's killing everybody. I remember hearing a story a while ago about it was a family that was hiking. I think it was in uh, the mountains in California and they disappeared and they were found and they were all dead. And it took a really long time to figure out why, because they didn't there, there didn't seem to be any apparent reason for their death. And I think what they figured out was they had gone into a low oxygen pocket. You You also hear stories occasionally of, like, oh, a swamp burped and an entire town died. Yeah. But speaking of boats, while we're talking about boats, this is actually the story I wanted to talk about uh, because we have some experience with it. There's this horrible story out of Grenada. Did you hear about this, Ashley, with the couple who was cruising around on a sailboat? They look like, you know, retirement age, active people who sailed down there. And what happened to them? No. Okay. So this is a horrible story. You and I have gone sailing before. In fact, the pitch that I made to you before we moved to Scotland It was motivated by the fact that pre-COVID, we would go on sailing trips together um, because we all got certified as a family and we'd go sailing. And it's one of the chillest, most relaxed vacations you could ever have in your life. You rent a boat, you charter a boat, you basically go around from island to island. There's mooring points and you kind of have to race the sunset to get to a mooring point. So you're not just anchored off the coast. You can actually get in this like almost like like a parking lot for boats. And then you can hear people playing music and people drinking, having a good time and people getting the little dinghies and they go in to the shore to have dinner and things like that. Right, Ashley? It's just this amazing environment. Wonderful time. And then you come back and you sleep on the boat. It's really great. Um, And uh, one of the things that invariably comes up, especially if you have someone coming out there for the first time is, well, if we're not on the boat or if we're sleeping on the boat, what's the security like? Like, how do you prevent someone from getting on the boat? And the answer is... People just don't do that until they do that. Because what happened to this couple in Grenada was this trio of escaped inmates swam out, got on the boat. There was some kind of, they're trying to piece together what happened. There was a violent altercation. They took over the boats, the boat, excuse me. They sailed over to, I believe it was St. Kitts. Anyway, they sailed over to a neighboring island 
Uh, and somewhere along the way, they just toss the couple overboard. Oh, my God. Which is an absolute fucking horror story. It's one of this like incredibly horrible, low chance things that could happen to someone. But God, man, that's just like such a frightening concept. Yeah, the there's sailing and and being on a boat is very peaceful in a lot of ways uh, that are also terrifying if you think about them in a different light, which is things like, uh, you know, we don't have internet. Great, we're going to disconnect, we're offline, we're just going to chill with ourselves and our own mind and read a book or whatever. Uh, and on the other hand, it's a lot harder to get help with no internet. Um, I'm just going to read this story really quickly to you and then relate it back to something that we have. Um, this is in Kingstown. I was wrong. The island they sailed to was St. Vincent, not St. Kitts. Uh, a U.S. couple who disappeared a week ago after their catamaran was hijacked by three escaped prisoners in the Eastern Caribbean are likely dead, local police told a press conference on Monday, though they said the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, Grenadian Police Commissioner Don McKenzie, that's a really Grenadian name, Don McKenzie, uh, said the prisoners had escaped custody on February 18th. And the following day, commandeered a catamaran named Simplicity with U.S. citizens Kathy Brandell and Ralph Hendry on board. Information suggests that while traveling between Grenada and St. Vincent, they disposed of the occupants. The couple was last seen on the night of February 18th, and their boat was later tracked leaving the island late at night at an unusual speed. And of course, everyone who knows them, the community, it's got a weird name. It's called the Cruising Community. It's called Cruising Between Islands. Everyone is just like, cannot believe that something like this happened. But it makes me wonder, is like, is it like people, you know, like especially like retirees from America who are maybe just kind of naive and, you know, fooling themselves as to how safe something like this is. You go to other countries and you just park with no security, um, you know, right off the shore, you know, maybe 50, 60 feet off the shore. And there's a feeling of safety. But how safe are you really? Well, a lot of the uh, places that, that we've gone, at least, uh, are islands that are only accessible via boat or the, yes. the places that we've moored up. So uh, there's something to that as well. Like if you got there, you've probably got a boat. Why yeah. do you need why do you need someone else's boat? Um, in this case, obviously, they were in a, a much larger island that had uh, more of a population and that obviously had these inmates. So that doesn't necessarily apply, but people may not be um, quite as flexible switching the mindset of, oh, it's a boat, it's moored, it's safe. Like, they can't get out to it without another boat anyway. Yeah. And the investigation is still ongoing, so hopefully they'll find them. But even if they find them, that means they were, like, floating in the open sea for who knows how long. Yeah, I'm I'm reading here the countries are separated. They're um, 105 kilometers or 85 nautical miles apart. That's, yeah. look, even one of the things that we learned when sailing was if someone goes overboard, one person's job is to stare at them. They do not help. They do not steer the boat. They do not, they do nothing except stare at at the person who fell overboard and point. Because if you lose sight of them, you may not find it again. So their job is for to, even a is, second. Yeah, is to just look at the person who fell overboard and yeah. and never ever ever look away no matter what. So to try to cover uh an 85 an 85 mile length between these yeah. two islands it's not good. And we had these things too like falling overboard especially cuz we had 
the teenage boys, they were teenagers at the time, uh, that were part of it with us was I had these things that would attach to people's life jackets, which was basically I had to tell the kids, if you pull this tab, pull this string on it, it's like an emergency device. The Coast Guard will come get you. If you pull that cord, it costs $25,000 if you yes. pull one like with a fine. And I think it was, you know, it, the subscription on it was like $200 for a year. But I, I just, it was a very expensive thing, but I just kept thinking to myself, man, you would not miss that money if you ever found yourself in the water at any point in time. Yeah, they do have but, uh, you know, a lot very improved flotation things like, you know, there's uh, now GPS and things like that on some flotation devices that are like this um, and that can send out emergency signals and things like that. But I'm going to guess that this couple was probably not put overboard with one of them. No, I'm going to guess they were not as well. And you know what? I, I do feel compelled to say that we really never felt ourselves in any kind of dangerous situation. It really is an amazing experience if you can ever do it. Get some friends together and charter it. If you're not trained in sailing, you'll probably need to get a captain, which makes it more expensive. But it really was the best vacations I ever took in my entire life. And I absolutely loved it. And I never felt like I was in danger. And it's funny, too, because there's there's these iconic locations like we would – park our boat on a mooring and you have this bar that you can only swim up to. And it's this little shack of a bar called the soggy dollar bar. And it's so funny because we have a bottle of soggy dollar rum and people from when they come visit us in Scotland, people from all over the world will see that and go, Oh my God, the soggy dollar bar. In fact, You've there's been probably there. people who have, yeah, there's probably people who have been sailing before and have been there hearing this now. And as soon as they hear the name, they're like, Oh my God, because it's such an incredible experience that you take with you for the rest of your life. All right, Ashley, we've gone a little bit long here anyway. And I'm already feeling like we've touched so many morbid things, but I do feel compelled to talk very briefly at least uh, about the U.S. airmen who set themselves on fire outside of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. We weren't we weren't kidding, by the way, when we said at the top of this <laughs> that this was going to be a morbid episode. There's just a lot of morbid stuff to to talk about. But this is an this is an incredible story. There's a video that goes along with it. Ashley, I'm sure you have not watched the video. I have absolutely um, not watched the video. No. Yeah, it's uh it's really horrifying uh and it was an incredible political statement that he was trying to make. You have to be really careful about the way you talk about these things because obviously this is someone who ended their life. Um and you don't want to encourage anyone else to do the same. There's much better ways to affect change in this world than doing things like that. Uh, but he was making an effort to draw attention to the plight of Palestinians right now uh, in the war that's going on in the Middle East. And uh, just a, just it's crazy. I, I haven't seen anything like that. I'm sure it's happened at some point in the last 20 years. But I always go back to the monk who set himself on fire to protest the Vietnam War. And it's it's just it. I don't know. It's a, it's an incredible point in history. And sometimes you have to pause and recognize when those things are taking place. Yeah, so specifically what what's interesting about this one is that the guy live streamed himself on Twitch. Yes. Leading um, up to it, he walked down the street talking and then live streamed the whole process. Yeah. Yeah, so he um he wasn't dead on the scene. Um he sustained um critical life-threatening injuries, so basically third-degree burns across his entire body. <sighs> Um, and was rushed to a yeah. hospital, but he did he did pass away there. Um, and uh, I don't know how long the video was up on Twitch. It has been pulled down, but it's been, of course, this is the internet, and people have been sort of passing it around like a bootleg. 
um, since that point. Oh yeah. Once that something like that hits the internet, it's never going to leave something like that's, you know, never going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, which is probably, uh, the purpose by, you know, the, at least one of the motivations for why he did what he did. But, uh, like you said, he did not die instantly. Um, that that's, that's not something that anyone ever needs to consider, but good Lord, what, what, what a statement to make. What a statement. All right, Ash, end this on something, something positive. What's a positive thing we can end on? Um, Oh, been on the spot here. Um, Apple's not working on a car. <laughs> That's is, the lowest level, they least des- depressing death today is the death of the Apple electric car. Yeah, yeah. They decided they're not working on it anymore. I, <laughs> I mean, I would talk about, <laughs> about it more, but it really doesn't feel like the place maybe tomorrow. Well, it's a little depressing, and we'll end on this, but uh, they are have seen a massive decline in uh, EV demand, uh, which has led to other things that are taking place, like if you want to get batteries for a uh, sustainable energy solution for your house, now would probably be one of the best times to look at a battery bank for that, uh, because the battery market has been, um, it has quite a surplus because of the decline in EV manufacturing. And so it's a really interesting thing. Uh, the crazy part about it is that EVs, like everything else in this world, have now become a political divide. And there's only so many people that are in the market for EVs because in some political arenas, it's seen as being a disloyal or unpatriotic thing. That's just the world we live in these days. All right. Well, that does it for us on this Wednesday. That was our tape leg. We'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> we really, we, we genuinely, really, really hope you'll be with us here tomorrow as well. Bye, everybody.